You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Now, the New York Mets were off on Thursday, a much-needed day off, before their upcoming three-game set against the Los Angeles Angels. On today's show, I will preview that series in the final segment, but we have a Friday Farm Report. In the first segment, I want to talk about the newest Met, Khalil Lee, who just got back up to the show after previously getting demoted from AAA all the way down to low A. I'll talk about why he got demoted, what changes he's made that has allowed him to get hot lately, and what is sustainable with that moving forward. In the second segment, I want to talk about Jose Budo and the other arms I view as untouchable heading into this year's trade deadline in the Mets farm system. And then, like I said, we'll close the show with that series preview. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Now, Khalil Lee is a very interesting prospect in the Mets system that just got called up to replace Starling Marte, essentially, for that game on Wednesday night. The Mets kept Marte and Alonzo on the roster. They think they're going to avoid IL stints, so they added an extra man to the bench with Khalil Lee, and now the question is, is he only up for 24 hours, 48 hours? They're going to set him right back down once they get a clean bill of health for Starling Marte. Does he have a chance to stick around a little bit longer as a fourth outfielder, filling the Travis Jankowski-type role where Nick Plummer slides in to more of the Dom Smith role uh, before those guys, you know, with Jankowski getting hurt and Dom getting sent down? That's a potential option here. Could we see Marte end up on the IL? Now clearly gets a couple of weeks of run. That's also an option. He has had a really weird season. Clearly has uh, started the year in Syracuse, struggled mightily, get sent down to low A St. Lucie. It actually was a little bit weird uh, on the broadcast. Gary Cohen last night sort of alluded to some type of an off the field issue that led to that demotion that was never made public in the media. Uh, I don't know if that was maybe a slip up by Gary or or what else. I really don't know, but it was a little bit strange that that came up. It seemed originally on the surface, like they sent him down to low A to maybe jog his season. Maybe have a little bit more tools um, than they do up in St. Lucie, really being, you know, not only the spring hub for that mess, but really a hub for development where a lot of injured players go and things of that nature so originally I think we thought that that was what that demotion was about maybe there was something else attached to it I really don't want um to to put too much on that because it was sort of a throwaway line by Gary Cohen in the middle of a broadcast but it was a little bit peculiar the thing that we do know though is he gets sent down to low St. Lucie plays eight games there had some success it's not like he was great but he definitely started to get hotter as it went on gets sent back up to Syracuse, and he was absolutely red hot. In the last series he played, he went 9 for 26 
with seven extra base hits, four doubles, and three home runs across his seven-game hitting streak in the minors. He's hitting 333, 429 on base, 708 slugging, and 48 at bats. And that's since being recalled from Port St. Lucie with those four home runs and three stolen bases. Hugh Quattlebaum, who of course was the Mets hitting coach last year, but remained as the director of hitting development, said that, quote, he found his timing and his rhythm back. He was basically working on some stuff to get his fluidity and rhythm back. Uh, he told Mike Puma of the New York Post, Quattlebaum continued to say that his swing is smooth. It looks more like a sudden explosion than a buildup. There's a lot of power there. And when he gets too quiet or too simple with it, he was doing a toe tap and he was losing his timing. He was a little bit later on fastballs than he typically was. He went down to St. Lucie, put in a leg kick, and he said right off the bat it felt way different. He loves it. He's kind of come back with it, and it definitely looks different since he's been back. So to, to boil all that down, if you watch Khalil at bats last season, he started off open. That, that's the one big change that Quattlebaum didn't mention there that I noticed looking at some of the tape from last year to what we're seeing since he got called back up to Syracuse. Last year, he started with that front foot open and then would have uh, the slightest of it, not even a leg kick, you call it more of a leg lift, into a, a toe tap where he would center himself as the pitch approached. Now he's more closed off um, where he's a little bit more straight up facing the pitcher. He's going with somewhat of a leg kick. It's not an extreme leg kick. Uh, you know, it's definitely a little bit more pronounced than the leg lift he had, but it's not drastic. It's just a little bit more. And, and the timing of it has him really able to fire his hips. I think that's the biggest thing. Last year when he started open, I, I think that was a way that he was trying to get those hips into his swing and, and draw his power. And now instead by using that leg kick, he's able to generate what he's looking for, where he's able to time up the pitch and really get all of his legs into it as he's trying to drive and hit for power. And there clearly is power there. It's a guy that hit a 468-foot home run the other day. So there's definitely a lot to Khalil Lee's game. He's a guy that can steal bases. He has eight stolen bases this year. He had one season in the minor leagues where he stole a ton before he got to the Mets. Now I'm drawing a blanket. How many? I think it was like a 40-steal season. If I'm not mistaken, for Khalil Lee in his final year in the Royals organization, where he stole, uh, let us see here, 53 stolen bases in 2019 in Double A. So that's what was kind of the the big loud, loud, loud tool that we all knew about when the Mets got Khalil Lee. Uh, the power is developing. Last year, you look at what he did. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a great season to start, and then he really found his rhythm after he got promoted to the Mets and got sent down. He was just red hot. He finished the season last year in AAA as a 274 hitter, a 451 on base percentage, led that league when it comes to his on base, also led the league with a 162 WRC+. plus. Again, WRC+, plus measures hitters based on a league average of 100, so he was 62% better than your league average hitter and was the best hitter based on that metric uh, in all of the minors in that uh, Eastern League for AAA. 500 slugging percentage last year, 14 home runs. Here's the thing that always concerned me about Khalil Lee, the strikeout rate. We know what he did with the Mets in his first cup of coffee. It was not pretty. He went one for 18 in 2021 with 13 punch outs. Don't love that. In the minors last year, his strikeout rate was 29.6%, but his walk rate at least was 18.3%. 
Now, obviously, his numbers are dragged down by a dreadful start, but this year, altogether, talking about a 221 hitter, 336 on base, 393 slugging, his walk rate is 11.9%. His strikeout rate is 34.3%. And you'll say, well, I'm sure he was striking out more before. Has he cut down the strikeouts since this demotion? The one thing I'll tell you is in eight games in Port St. Lucie, he still struck out in over 30% of his at-bats. So the, the strikeouts have always concerned me with Khalil Lee. Heading into the season, I had him ranked as the number nine prospect in the Mets system. I had Nick Plummer at 11. Now, the reason why I had Plummer below Lee is because we're talking about their prospect status. And I felt like because Khalil Lee was a couple years younger, because he did not just go through what Plummer did, where the Cardinals essentially uh, gave up on him. You know, they didn't have room for him on the 40. They let him walk. I just felt like as a prospect, Lee was a little more valuable and deserved the nod to be in the top 10. But I also felt that Nick Plummer had a much better chance to help the Mets this season. And I liked his long-term prospects a little bit more. The reason being is because I just think that Khalil Lee has so much swing and miss in his game that when he gets to the big league level, he's going to get exposed, but you never know. And if he can tap into his power and, and he can maybe be a 20 home run guy, uh, at his peak at the big league level while he's giving you really good defense. I think he could be a really good right fielder. I think he can hang in center field. He certainly has more athleticism than a Nick Plummer. Um, I think he is a better defender as well. Maybe he does have a chance to be a big league starter, uh, if not a, a high-end fourth outfielder. For this Mets team, though, this year, there's a reason why I believe that Mangum would have been up had he not gotten hurt. I think Jake Mangum as a you know 26-year-old, played four years in college, is just a little bit more of a polished player right now who could contribute to high-end winning, where he could come off the bench, play that defense speed role that I think Lee's going to play in the short term. Uh, but also I think that he could be a little bit better as far as staying in a rhythm, getting limited playing time off the bench, and maybe giving you at least bats. I don't think that either of these guys – if they're only getting the Jankowski, you know, three at-bats a week, is really going to thrive. Who is? It's really tough to play in one of those roles. But with Mangum, if he's at least putting the ball in play, working deep counts, he's a little bit more of a functional piece on your roster as opposed to a Khalil Lee, who, if not getting playing time, could just be a walking strikeout anytime they throw him out there. At the same time, look, the pop is real. And could he run into a home run late in the game and change the tides for the Mets like Nick Plummer did a couple weeks ago? Absolutely. The Mets have some options here when it comes to their outfield depth with these guys, with Jankowski, when he eventually comes back from the injured list with Mangum, with Plummer, with Lee. But really, when it comes to starting level outfielders, I don't know if any of them really fit that bill. And I still do believe that Nick Plummer is the closest bet. I still think that Nick Plummer has a swing with less holes in it. It's interesting that the dichotomy between the two for Lee, it took adding a little bit more to his swing to get him into rhythm where Nick Plummer was able to simplify things from, you know, 2019 and, you know, past the, the COVID year when he, he jumped out and had the breakout season in 2021, his big change was simplifying his swing. So it, it's different for everybody. Uh, there's no exact way to hit whatever works for you works for you. But I think that the moving parts, that still exists in Khalil Lee's swing. While they're not too pronounced, I still am concerned that his timing can get off at any time and he can strike out a ton, and that's going to really make him 
a little bit of a flawed major leaguer in my opinion, but hopefully he proves me wrong and maybe he ends up being a great piece of the Mets moving forward. I want to talk about pitchers though for this Friday Farm Report because we are getting closer and closer to the trade deadline. Here we are in June. Trade deadline comes at the end of July. I think it's now August 1st. So they're getting to that point where the Mets might be making some moves. And I want to talk about the arms that I deem untouchable in the Mets system right now. But with spring in the air, it's time for a renewal and growth, both personally and professionally. As your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one site in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked.mlb. That's linkedin.com slash locked.mlb to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I want to talk about untouchable arms in the Mets system. And the first one I want to go through is probably the name that on the surface would be the most movable of these three. Yet I deem him untouchable based on the current state of the Mets system. And that's Jose Budo. He's always been known as a consistent strike thrower. This year, he's actually walking more batters than in the past. A career high walks per nine over three, but he's also getting more strikeouts. And here is the scouting report from Baseball America on Jose Budo heading into the season. They say Budo is an athletic strike thrower with the best changeup in the organization. His low 80 circle change sinks and fades slightly as it nears the plate and at peak features 12 miles per hour or more of separation from his fastball. Budo sells his changeup because it comes from the same tunnel as his fastball, a four-seamer that ranges from 92 to 96 and sits near 93 with good vertical finish. His fastball and change help him generate a 16.1% swinging strike rate that ranks 16th in the minors among pitchers with at least 90 innings pitched. So essentially what you're talking about Jose Buda with that scouting report is he has a fastball in a changeup that are really good offerings that could be big league ready soon. Okay. And the fact that he tunnels them well means that a pitcher, that pitcher that a hitter can't pick up coming out of his hands they look identical to the batter. They're coming from the same arm angle, same arm speed, but the velocity is the big difference. So when his changeup is his best pitch, it allows his fastball to play up as well. As he said, uh, you know, a, a separation of 12 miles per hour or more, that's going to make that fastball jump on batters. It's also going to make them gear up for the fastball and then be surprised when he's able to drop in that changeup that's going to have the great movement and he can get a lot of strikeouts with that pitch. He can also get a lot of soft contacts and ground balls with the changeup and the fastball, the way he can sequence them. The question is, can he develop a third pitch? He's got a curveball that he's working on. It's getting better. If that curveball can be an MLB offering, you're looking at a big league starter. If not, then maybe there is a chance in the future, not now, 
where he could have a fastball change at mix as a reliever that could play up even more out of the bullpen. But I think that he really does have what it takes to stay as a starting pitcher. And when you're looking at the Mets minor league system right now, we just saw with all these injuries, they had the depth with McGill, Peterson, and uh, Trevor Williams heading into the season. That's been great for them, and that's been enough depth to get by. But when Thomas and Bucky came up, things did not go well. And he was really the only option the Mets had on their 40 outside of Jose Budo. I don't know if Budo necessarily factors into the mix this year. I think you certainly hope he doesn't because the only way he would is if injuries continue to pop up. And I think the hope right now with the Mets rotation with Max Scherzer now apparently set to start throwing bullpen soon. Jacob DeGrom nearing a similar point in his rehab. Tyler McGill set to rejoin this team this weekend. You're hoping that uh, you won't go through any more injuries this season. Your rotation will be fine. But the bottom line is, looking towards the future, they need some depth. And Jose Budo is really the, the, the only option in the minor leagues right now, double A or higher, that looks to be a, a factor maybe in a 2023 rotation. So Budo, to me, is untouchable because of the state of the Mets system. With that said, uh, I don't think he's as as untouchable as these next two guys. If you had to move him to make a win-now trade, maybe it's to get a starter at the deadline. Maybe it's to, to get that one bat you're missing, or maybe it's because you got an elite closer on the line. I could be talked into it, but I really think the Mets have to be cautious with dealing someone like Buddha right now because there's just not much else. You have Matt Allen, though, who we all know is the top pitching prospect in the Mets system, has yet to throw uh, since that Tommy John surgery, we'll see uh, when he gets back on the mound, what he looks like. There's really not much to talk about it, other than the fact that he has the highest ceiling by far of any pitcher in the Mets system. I'm sure he has a lot of trade value, but I don't think that they would trade him. I think he's as untouchable to the New York Mets right now as even a Francisco Alvarez, just because they can't afford to lose that type of a high upside arm when they just don't have a bunch in their system. They have guys that are developing into that. And that brings me to Calvin Zeigler. This guy is really the darling of the Mets farm system right now. I think if you gave them some true serum on the guy that they're really looking forward to the most, it's Zeigler. He has incredible spin rate on his pitches. That's why he was drafted in the second round. Sort of a surprising pick when the Mets got him. But you look at what he's done this year in low way. 51 strikeouts in 31 innings pitched. 2.90 ERA, 8 starts. That's really impressive. His best pitch is that fastball. Um, you know, that fastball can touch 97. You throw it, you know, consistently in the mid to high 90s. He's going to be really dangerous. The spin rate on it is insane. Spin efficiency. You look at his fastball slider combination, and it could be plus plus. You're seeing him rack up strikeouts right now at 19 years old. Uh, he is obviously in a league with a lot of guys that age, but he's standing out in that league. I think the Mets will continue to keep him in low A for a majority of this season. They might, at the end of the year, let him get his feet wet a little bit in high A because that's where he'll most likely spend next season. They're going to take their time with him. But this is someone that has the potential to be a, a surprising frontline starter in a couple of years if his development breaks right. They love his pitch mix. They love the spin that he generates. They love his athleticism. Uh, he's a really interesting prospect, and I can't see them trading Zeigler. I, I can't see them trading him. I really can't see him trading Matt Allen, and I think Budo should be untouchable as well. 
based on, again, the state of their farm system. So that was your Friday Farm Report this week. Now let's look ahead to this weekend against the Los Angeles Angels. I'm going to give you a series preview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. When it comes to the Mets series this weekend against the Los Angeles Angels, I didn't want to get too bogged down in numbers because this is the ultimate trap series. I could sit here and tell you about how abysmal they've been offensively recently. I could tell you about how their pitching has not been great, particularly out of their bullpen, how they just fired Joe Men, how they've lost 14 games in a row as I record this and have the potential to be on a 15-game losing streak if they lose later tonight against the Boston Red Sox, I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon on the East Coast. We'll see what happens. I, I hope sincerely that the Angels win because if the Angels don't win, it's just momentum heading towards an eventual win. Teams don't lose 15 games in a row, particularly teams that were 10 games over 500 at one point this season. It has been a shocking turn for this Angels team. And so – to dive into to what each player is doing, I don't know if that really tells us anything because to me, this is setting the stage for a series that could lead to an overreaction for Mets fans. And that's where I want to start today. Don't freak out if the Mets lose this series against the Angels because baseball is weird like that. It just is. Do I think the Mets are going to lose this series? No. I think the Mets are head and shoulders a better team than the Angels. But at the same time, let's just say Pete Alonso and Starling Marte are day-to-day and you're playing with a short bench for the weekend. Who knows what can happen? You got Noah Syndergaard set to pitch at some point this weekend. Could Noah go out and deal against his former team? Absolutely he could. This year, he's had a decent season, a 3-9 ERA across 46 and a third innings pitch in nine starts. Uh, you look at his last start, six innings, uh, gave up five hits, only one earned run against the Red Sox in what turned out to be a one to nothing lost on, was that Monday? Before that, against the Yankees, he gave up five runs. Uh, that was his worst start of the year. He got knocked out after the or in the third inning. Actually, a couple starts prior against the Rangers, he was knocked out in the first inning, which is you know two bad starts sandwiched between a start on May 24th when he went eight innings and allowed just one run. Overall, though, with Noah, the big thing is his strikeouts are way, way, way down. Uh, this year, his strikeout per nine is at 5.8 for his career at the Mets. His strikeout per nine was at 9.7. So that is a drastic shift. Um, you know, his walks are about where they've been. His hits are um, down uh, uh, relatively, I guess, compared to actually about the same. His home runs are down uh, to, to where he was at certain points in his Mets career. But overall, I mean, you look at his numbers and he's just not the same pitcher that he was in a Mets uniform pre Tommy John pitching a contact more. Um, 
we'll see what Noah looks like. He is the type of, of profile of a pitcher the Mets have actually handled pretty well this year. So that'll be obviously the biggest matchup that fans will be watching. Another former Met to talk about is Aaron Loop. Um, not to say once again that one of my offseason uh, takes has, has bore out here, but kind of has if you look at Loop's numbers, right? Uh, I think everyone was panicking when Aaron Loop signed that deal um, with the Angels. My take on it is the same take I always have on relievers. I just don't react to anything. I don't react in a big way on the positive side or the negative side because you just don't know. Unless you're talking about acquiring like a Josh Hader, there's never anything that I'm going to get overly excited about, and there's never a signing I'm going to freak out about too much because you just don't know. It's a crapshoot. Was, was Aaron Loop going to pitch to a 0.95 ERA again? I would have bet my life that he wasn't going to do that because it's just a rarity. He also gave up, I, I mean, not to not the guy, but one of the things that I talked about a lot last season is the, the inherited runners thing wasn't as great as it seemed on paper. He did have a little bit of good fortune there where some inherited runners would score when he came in and, and it, it wouldn't go against his ERA. This year, Aaron Loop is pitching to a 4-4-3 ERA. Um, not great. Not great at all. And he's getting paid a, a healthy salary to do it. Um, you know, he's, he's pitched in 24 games, 20 and a third innings pitch, 22 strikeouts, uh, 1.23 whip. You look at what he's done this year, and, and to a certain extent, it, it's in a lot of ways what he has been throughout his career when it relates to the whip, at least. You know, his career whip is 1.2. His whip this season is 1.23. Last year, his whip was 0.94. That was more of the aberration to, to what he has been. I think that he's still a solid reliever, but he's getting paid not quite closer money, but elite setup man money. And I just felt like it was okay for the Mets to go in another direction. And they've had Chase and Shreve this year. They've had Joely Rodriguez. Both of their numbers aren't the greatest right now, but I think in aggregate, I, I don't think the production they've gotten has been that much worse. And overall, I actually look at Shreve, for example, he has a 386 ERA. In 21 innings pitch, 21 strikeouts. His whip is 1.048. So he does have slightly better numbers than Aaron Loop. Uh, looking at the pitching probables for the Mets, because the Angels have not listed any. Again, like I said, Syndergaard is due to pitch, so you're likely to see him. I'm pretty sure they said Michael Lorenzen uh, is expected to start as well this weekend. For the Mets, it'll be Tyler McGill on Friday night making his return. Uh, not sure how many pitches. He has in the tank, but I'm sure they'll have Trevor Williams uh, ready to go to piggyback him if necessary. Uh, McGill has a 4.41 ERA in the season. His numbers really tailed off right before he hit the IL. was great, as you remember, in April, part of the combined no-hitter. And then in May, he started to struggle before ending up on the injured list with the bicep tendonitis. I expect uh, to see a better version of him. They say the velocity is back to where it was at the beginning of the season. Uh, probably has about 70 pitches, maybe 75 pitches. So if you can get five innings out of McGill and hand it off to your bullpen with a lead, you'll be feeling pretty good about what he can give you. Um, Saturday, you got Carlos Carrasco on the mound. Carrasco suddenly looks like the Mets ace because of Chris Bassett's recent struggles. As I talked about on yesterday's show when it related to All-Star, uh, Carlos Carrasco in the top five right now in F4 in the National League for pitchers with a 1.8 um, F4. 3.52 ERA. He's seven and one. The Mets have played really well behind him. Uh, he's given them length in a lot of different instances. They're going to need that again, considering you got McGill going. And also on Sunday, right now, 
Uh, Taiwan Walker slated to pitch. Um, Walker has a 3.28 ERA coming off a bad start against the Padres. The day off affords uh, the Mets the ability to start them again. They got a day off on Monday too, so they're able to really kind of reset their bullpen, reset their rotation. If they can find a way to win this series, you escape that this West Coast trip with a five and five record. If you at least take one of the three games, you're talking about a four and six road trip out west after you had swept two series leading into it. So again, as I referenced on yesterday's show, if you rewind to before that, um, and, and you said that the Mets were going to go ten and six over the next sixteen games, you would have taken it. Um, so even though the West Coast trip could turn into a disappointment, as long as they get one in Anaheim, I think considering the injuries, considering the fact that Lindor slammed his finger in a hotel door, and you could have lost him, considering Pete Alonso got hit in the hand, and you could have lost him, considering that Starling Marte pulled his quad, and that could have been a more significant injury. To just get back home whole um, and, and have gotten four wins, out West, not to mention a really impressive showing against the Dodgers, the team that you really have to worry about this year. I think the Mets uh, will be pretty happy with that, and their schedule really does lighten up. They do play the Brewers to kick off next week, but from there, it starts to get a little bit easier. They got a lot of games against the Marlins this month um, and the Cubs as well. They got, they're playing a couple teams that they should be able to fatten up on after this really difficult point of their season. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets for this week on Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked on Mets. Thank you for making Locked on Mets your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, check out Locked on MLB, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan. Locked on MLB is where you want to go to stay up to date with everything going on in Major League Baseball. Follow Locked on MLB wherever you get podcasts. <clears throat> 